The Old Testament reading for this Ash Wednesday is from Genesis, the third chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Revelation, the 22nd chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no lamp of no light or lamp of sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to Saint Mark, the first chapter. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Amen. 
Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this evening is really all of the readings that are before us, but we keep in mind the words of Revelation 22, 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the, of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is our text. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This was God's solemn warning to Adam and Eve. They could eat the fruit from any tree in the Garden of Eden, but not this one. Not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. To do so would bring death. But none of this mattered when it really came down to it. The serpent had already begun to sink his hellish fangs into the heart of Eve. It didn't take much. Simple question, really. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And suddenly... Eve is no longer seriously considering the consequences of her actions. After all, the benefits seem to outweigh the consequences, at least for the moment. Eve saw that the tree was good for food. It didn't look dangerous or unpleasant, and it could make her wise. How could something that promised such wonderful things be, well, so bad for you? How could something so inviting, so attractive to the eye be filled with such dreadful poison? Adam and Eve would find out the hard way that God was serious when he said, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. For the wages of sin is death, writes St. Paul. And death is what they got. For where there is sin, there is also death and damnation. The age-old problem with mankind, you see, is that we have, well, we've never stopped. We've never stopped eating the fruit that leads to death. Every day, the scene in the garden gets replayed. Man sees something he desires. God says, no, Satan taunts. Did God actually say? And man says, well, you know, maybe just one little bite won't hurt. You too know the commandments of God. You know that he requires you to be holy and to live a holy life, perfect in thought, word, and deed, and yet, how quickly... Caution is thrown to the wind and the warnings of God's word ignored when you see something that you really want. You try to pretend that God has not spoken or that he was really not serious when he said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Yet, you test the limits of his patience. Like a child testing his parents, you see just how much you can get away with, just how far you can push the limits before God will inflict punishment upon you. Not content with the grace God has given, not, con or not content with what God has given, not content to stay within the bounds of the law, you continually try to renegotiate with God. But this always ends badly. This was how Adam and Eve ended up banished from the tree of life and exiled from the garden. And this is why you must eventually return to dust. Adam and Eve needed a savior. So do you, a savior from sin and its terrible consequences, one who would undo the spiritual train wreck left behind in the garden and save you and all people from sin, death, and the power of the devil, one who would open up a way back into paradise and to the tree of life. It would take one from woman's seed to do this. It would take the coming of the Son of God 
assuming your flesh, taking your sin, your shame, and your death upon himself, upon the cross. It would take Jesus, true God, true man, drinking the cup of scorn and dread to crush the ancient serpent's head, as we will sing in just a few minutes. For us and for our salvation, this new and better Adam said no to the devil's temptations. Rather than eat the forbidden fruit of earthly power and glory, Christ ate ashes like bread and mingled his drink with weeping, as it is written in Psalm 102. He refused to satisfy himself, to indulge his appetite, and he denied himself food and drink for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He was content to live by the word of his Father for you. This is what this Lenten season is all about. Beginning tonight, as ashes are smeared on the foreheads of the faithful, we return to the garden. We remember with shame the fall of our first parents and the mortal life that we now share with them on account of sin. We take our place next to Adam and Eve and we hear the terrifying voice of the Lord. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But we also remember that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and true man, could do that, just as we confess in those Christian questions and answers in the Catechism. Only our, our only joy, our only comfort in the midst of sin and death is Christ Jesus, who bore our sins on the tree of the cross for us and gave himself over to his Father's wrath in our place, in our stead. All of this he did so that Adam and his children might live, so that having returned to dust, we might also rise again with him. He drank the cup of suffering and tasted death for us all so that we, the fallen sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, might once again have full and free access to the tree of life. During this Lenten season, we rejoice that this access is given to us uniquely in the salutary gift of the Lord's Supper. Now in sacramental bread and wine, Christians washed in the blood of the Lamb are given to eat of another kind of fruit a life-giving fruit given to us straight from the tree of the cross. This fruit is none other than the body and blood of our Lord, given and shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, whereas the fruit from the tree of knowledge brought death to Adam. This, this is truly life-giving fruit. Christ Jesus tells us, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever, in John chapter 6. This holy gift, when received in repentance and faith, bestows the very life of Christ and it seals to the one who eats of it the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, salvation from the devil. As the hymn confesses, now from that tree of Jesus' shame flows life eternal in his name. For all who trust and will believe, salvation's living fruit receive. And of this fruit, so pure and sweet, the Lord invites the world to eat to find within this cross of wood the tree of life with every good. We eat of this fruit when we hear Christ's death proclaimed in the Holy Gospel, but we also eat of it in a sacramental way when we come to the Lord's table, open our mouths, and receive salvation's living fruit. You see, the thing about the sacrament is that, well, at least to earthly eyes, there's absolutely nothing impressive about it. Unlike the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was pleasing to the eye, there is nothing extraordinary about the appearance of this fruit. To our eyes, it seems too ordinary, 
to be worthy of reverence and adoration. But our eyes can and do deceive us. We can all make the mistake of Naaman the Syrian, wishing that God would work his healing in a more spectacular way. The unbelieving world around us, well, it looks at this gift and it asks, how can something so ordinary, something so unattractive, so unimpressive, bestow such gifts? The unbelieving world mocks the Christian for trusting so mightily in something that appears to us so powerless, just as it mocks us for placing our trust in a crucified Savior. And yet the words of Christ, they do not lie, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Tonight it is fitting that you mourn over your sins, that the ashes of death adorn your foreheads. It is fitting that you rend your hearts and not your garments and return to the Lord your God as we hear from the prophet Joel. You are Adam's sons and daughters after all, and you lived as if God did not matter and as if you mattered most of all. But you do not mourn without hope. For the prophet reminds us that God is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. The same God who excommunicated Adam and Eve from the tree of life, he now welcomes you to his holy table. In his mercy, he has left a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Dear Christians, in the beginning, God warned Adam concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But now, in the body and blood of Christ, God has made a solemn promise and pledge to you and to all the faithful that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely live. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, watch and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O God of forgiveness, you know the transgressions of our hearts, bodies, and minds. Break our hearts over our sins and cleanse and renew them by your holy word and sacrament. Lord, in your mercy. Blessed Lord, you have called your people to be reconciled to you in Christ. Grant steadfast, pure, and courageous hearts to your pastors that through all things they would remain ministers of your grace. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, you instruct your people in the way of righteousness. Grant us faithful hearts that in the Lenten days to come we would serve you and our fellow man in selfless love and find our reward only in you. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Lord, you blot out our transgressions and wash away iniquity. Sustain the families of your church that husbands, wives, and children would be cleansed from their sins and live together in peace. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, look graciously on our nation and its leaders, all civil servants, our military, and those who protect us and work for the common good. Drive away all disease and fear from us. Grant peace, we pray. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, God of all concord, it is your gracious will that your children on earth live together in harmony and peace. Defeat the plans of all those who stir up violence and strife. Destroy the weapons of those who delight in war and bloodshed. And according to your will, end all conflicts in the world. Teach us to examine our hearts that we may recognize our own inclination toward envy, malice, hatred, and enmity. Help us by your word and spirit to search our hearts and to root out the evil that would lead us to strife and discord. 
so that in our lives we may be at peace with all people. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, behold in mercy all who are sick, who suffer, and who rejoice. Be with all expectant mothers, all whose work is dangerous, the unemployed, those near death, and those who mourn, especially the families of Jean Tate and Bernice White. Comfort us who are dust and must return to dust, with the promise that a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. Lord, in your mercy. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Trusting in his mercy, bring us in repentance and faith to your altar to eat his body and drink his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, in your mercy. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. For to you alone we give all glory, honor, and worship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 